Today's sponsor is FreshBooks, which makes cloud accounting software that's ridiculously easy to use. FreshBooks has completely transformed how 5 million small business owners deal with their day-to-day paperwork. They do everything from invoices to expenses to time tracking. Get a 30-day free trial and start saving time and money at freshbooks.com slash Peter. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. It's powered by Digital Media. I'm here with Brooke Hammerling. who has got a big smile on her face. Before we get to Brooke, I want to say thank you to the folks at Digital Media who are bringing this episode to you on a very quick turnaround. Thanks a lot to Chris Basil. He's the guy doing all the engineering to make this stuff work. We're sorry we're late. We had some technical snafus, but we're glad we're here. And while we're being thankful, I want to thank you guys for listening to this thing. I've realized I've been doing this for about a year or so, which means I've been podcasting a lot. You've listened a lot. It's great. Thanks to all the awesome guests. And uh, it's a cool ecosystem, right? We get awesome guests. We have a good conversation. You guys tell us you like it. We get more awesome guests. It's a virtuous cycle. So speaking of awesome guests, here's Brooke Hammerling. Hi, Brooke. Wow, that's quite an intro. Hello. What do you do, Brooke? What do you do for your? <laughs> what do you do for? How do you make money? I, I, I. Tell um, people about yourself. So conduct how, the entire interview for me. Okay, I will. I, I can I turn it back on you? Yeah. Like, what do you do? I ask. I podcast. <laughs> I get on podcast for a living. One year podcasting. Brooke, you're a podcast. Brooke is. Uh, can I say you're in PR? Do you get offended? Yeah. No, I am. I, I, I am the founder um, of a communications company called Brew. And we certainly started in PR, PR for technology companies. You are a famous PR person. I don't, the I New York that. Times has profiled you, <laughs> among others. That's an interesting story that never got told. I did say no. I said no, and they said they were going to do it without my participation, and I felt that I could then be involved in it, and it would be maybe more interesting. So, that okay. was a long time So ago. you manage that story correctly? You have to manage the stories, yes. So you run a PR communications company? So with my company. business partner and esteemed colleague, Tina Cook, who is CEO, and I'm founder of Brew. And we started 11 years ago, communications company focused on technology companies. 11 years ago, that was a very siloed industry. It was either you were in tech or you were in fashion or you were in media or you were in finance. And now- You did one of, those, one of those things for PR. You did we did tech, PR, PR for or, tech, yeah. Right. And so you did one of those things. And um, our industry was focused entirely on technology companies and executives and founders and um, telling that story to media, media that are, um, you wait, know, wait, don't, don't tell the whole thing yet. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll get there. So I wanted to have you on <laughs> because you've built in business, which is interesting. You do comms, which is interesting. We normally talk to people who are sort of making media and you're one of the people who helps people make media, right? You help sort of message and, and, and figure out how to sort of tell a story correctly. You're also my friend. We should get that disclosure out of the way. Yes. Doesn't mean we always work together. Sometimes we, we try, fight. We, we try to play nicely. We sometimes do. Yeah. 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 You can't make me cover a story. No, I can't. Oh, and I man, can't make I you gi- And I can't make you give me a story. And you can't make me not still come to you on a story you don't want me to come to you on yeah. and try to get you to do Probably something. get along. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's fun. I've, I've been on this side. Oh yeah, you've you've sat in the in the yeah, audience and watched clients, the podcast. What's yeah. it like to watch a, to be in the podcast and watch the podcast? It's hard for somebody with control issues like myself. So there were a couple of times with you know I want to jump in and say things that I felt my clients could have also added, but they always ended up being fabulous. It's worked so. out so far. Yeah, let's talk broadly about what your job is. So sure. very often you're working with startups that want attention. 
You're helping them get attention, but not always. Sometimes you're working with bigger established companies. You're helping them field questions from assholes like me. (laughs) And then somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. I mean, there is no rule book. And I certainly, I I think it's due to my ADD. I don't have the the same day twice. Brew is, its core business is working with companies. That could be really early stage businesses. We we sometimes work with clients that are friends and family that haven't even had maybe a seed round, but haven't had anything more than that. And there are reasons for that. And we can work with them all the way up through, you know, publicly traded massive companies that have entrepreneurs and founders that understand the the nimbleness of the communications world right now and want to be more um, startup-like. And then the startups want to obviously be brought to a bigger platform and have their story told in a more concise and in bigger way. So when someone pays you, right, they're, they're pay you money. Sometimes you get equity in the company. Mm-hmm. Do you still do that? Yeah, we, we do. I mean, now that we're part of this broad, bigger organization called Freud's yep. in, in the UK, we're uh, looking at things a bit differently, but we do. We but do you, believe in our companies. When someone buys a service from you, mm-hmm. what is the thing they most often want? Do they want to become more famous? Do they want mm-hmm. to be on the front page of the Wall Street Journal? Do they want their stock price to go up? What is yeah. the thing that you're trying to solve I mean, all of those things. I think for the most part, um, emerging companies, new, new startups, they need, first and foremost, the, the reason why we actually choose to partner with certain entrepreneurs is they understand the communications process. If somebody comes to us and says, we want to be famous, we want, our, we want to be on the front page of the journal, right off the bat, we are sort of skeptical that that's going to be the right partner for us. Because as you know, there's so many things that go on behind the scenes. It's The tangible is definitely the print, the, the article, the podcast, whatnot. That's the tangible. But the, the entrepreneur who understands and values the real, the nuances that go on behind the scenes, the creating that messaging platform, because they're going to have different But they audiences. don't understand that, right? That's so why they've hired They don't you. know how to do it, but they understand that if somebody comes to us and say, we're launching a product in two weeks, we want PR, we're like, the entrepreneurs that really get it, and there are, say, they come, or maybe they're investors, come or their advisors come to us three months prior, four months, six months prior to a launch of a business um, and say, we need your help in helping shape that story. They may have different agendas. Their agenda may be to launch a product and get consumer awareness. It may be that they're looking to get you know attention from investors, partners, advertisers, all any number of those things. So, what's, the, what's the thing they don't get most often when someone comes to you? Because you're, you're describing a pretty sophisticated client. I right. talk, to, talk to your clients. I talk to people all the day, and they've, they've got their ideas with with how the world works aren't right. lined up with reality. No, there are lots of entrepreneurs that don't get it. They say, you know, we want we we're launching in two weeks and we want to be on, you know, every morning show and we want five hundred. Okay, so they're super dumb. But there's people <laughs> who are smart who still don't get how it works. What's the thing they that, that people most often don't get about what you do? They think there's a secret, not a secret sauce, like it's just a formula. Like you press a button. We press a button. We call people. We get the stories written. It's that we're doing them a favor. Like they could have called you, but they don't have the time. So it's just a matter of us making a phone call. Uh, I think people think it's very turnkey like that, and it's it's just not. There's so much that goes behind in relationships and, you know, storytelling um, and, and explaining to a client who is the right person to tell that story to versus who isn't and and having a strategy going in their strategy in many times is just like the most amount of press wins and that's not a win, as you know not a winning strategy very often these are people who've been successful before a lot of times right? and the people who are successful before they certainly are more sophisticated in their knowledge of how things work but then they also can be a bit more dangerous because they go, I know how this worked. We I know did this how last time. Yeah. And even if they haven't done it before, right? If you're starting a company, if you're in a position to hire you, it means somewhere in your background you've got 
some level of success or at least money or resources and you're used to sort of getting stuff your way, I would imagine in a lot of cases they're looking at you as a service provider the same way they would look as a caterer. Right. And we are very – it's a really good point. Like one of the things that we always say at Brew when we're talking to a potential client, a a reminder to our existing clients is – we don't view ourselves as service providers. If you view our, view us as service providers, we're in the wrong relationship. We need to be considered partners and extensions of the brand. And that's why with, whether it's Brewer with so many of the other amazing communications companies out there like Outcast, and we work with the founders. We work with the executive, the core team. And that's whether it's a five-person company or a 500,000-person company. We need to be with the decision makers who really want to make a difference in moving the needle on their communications. How, mu- how much do you think that the sort of lack of respect or miss misunderstanding of what you do is, is gendered, as they say. Oh, I mean... Most, many, I think, is, is the PR profession, is it fair to say they're predominantly women or, or dominated I, by women? Or there many more women in that business? I think in technology you see more men, and I and I love to see that, I think, but definitely, I mean, you know, it's the age old, which is sexist for me to say, but women are better communicators. I, you know, I think I was pushed into that world. I wasn't, you know, I come from a generation where maths and sciences were sort of left to the other gender and I was pushed into English and creative and, and whatnot. So I, as a natural, uh, I was, I was naturally drawn to a, a more, uh, communications based industry, I think for me. Um, so when, when they don't understand what you do, I mean, do you think, it's my hunch is that they're very often these dudes, they work with other dudes. If they work with women, often those women are in marketing or comms and there's something in their head that says this is stuff is less important and and it's women's work almost. I think it's certainly one of the reasons why Brew came to be because um, I was very fortunate early on to work with some male clients who didn't see it that way and created such a difference in experience for what I was dealing with and saw me as an equal, as a partner, whether that was Sky Dayton um, and or Zach Nelson, the CEO of NetSuite. These are men that really valued what we were doing, what I was doing, and saw me as a, as a partner. There were many times where, yes, we were basically treated like secretaries, note takers, like the, the cute girl in the room that's taking notes while I'm being interviewed by so-and-so. They did not see the value. I hope to change that. That's one of the things that Brew has been really outspoken about. And Dina and I, um, you know, we definitely, we have men and women at our company, but we're very outspoken about women's issues. And if we ever get feedback from anybody on our team where they feel they've been disrespected or mistreated by a reporter or by a client, we, I mean, I don't care if there's all the money on, on the table there, we take action immediately. But there's, there's a level of discomfort that a lot of people put up with day to day in any job, right? I don't like it, but it's my boss or it's my client I got to put up with. And I would assume for, for people who do what you do, there's even more of that. And there's some level that you will accept and some level that you won't accept. And maybe, maybe you're just constantly sort of moving that line around, right? Because someone's going to be creepy with you. There's a level of creepiness you can probably accept <laughs> and on a level you can't. Yeah, I sure. I mean, I'm not going to say that you're probably right, but I do think that we have taken a, a firmer line, um, and I do think that the acceptance of that creepiness is much less now. We're much less tolerant of that than we were even ten years ago. I mean, ten years ago, there were clients and press that would call me baby, that would say, you know, come over here, like sit next to me, sweetheart, that kind of thing. Um, which, when I'm starting out, certainly in my career, I was not going to shy away from. 
from and I'd probably have laughed and laughed it off even though there was like this inner anger inside of me or an embarrassment but I hope that the next generation certainly the the women that come through my doors are learning that that's not acceptable and so I come in and I can be like a like a mean mama bear and I like drop the hammer as they so say. So it's partly that, that you run your own company you can turn down clients and partly do you think the the, the climate is I mean I was thinking about this with the Billy Bush Trump stuff right yeah. like Obviously, with Trump and Billy Bush, you're going to see that in 2016 as well. But but I wonder how much of that is like, all right, well, maybe that was 2005 and things Mm. have changed. I think that's absolutely right. I do think that there's – I mean, I can't speak for every industry. I think sexual harassment is a a problem. I think that we still – certainly with some of the older school – clients that we've seen, some of like coming just from that Vanity Fair conference, seeing some of the people in the LA mindset, there was this clear difference in disrespect that I myself was encountering with so some the of LA the, people have not have some not, of the not, senior uh, Hollywood executives that I encountered who like, didn't know who I was. Name names. <laughs> I'm not gonna name names. I saw some incredibly bad behavior from some of those in twenty sixteen from in people who run big media companies. Mm-hmm. I sure did. And Disrespect. they treated you disrespectfully? They treat well, they treated people disrespectfully, um, but certainly, you know, that I was less significant because I they, they didn't know who I was. I didn't seem to be of importance to them. Worse and, than Silicon Valley. Yeah, oh yeah. But everyone knows you in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I you know what, but growing up in Silicon Valley in my career, you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have been around people that showed me respect. And maybe it's because I demanded it, maybe because it's my personality, maybe because I I don't know. But I, I honestly am very grateful that I didn't have any horrifying experiences with men in power on the on the client side that I got to work with. I've had some horrifying experiences, not to say. There was one with a journalist that was so – so. I remember collapsing on the street in San Francisco in awe of what how happened? I was being treated. Um, a prominent uh, blogger uh, at the time who I had been friendly with had – some sort of dis- I woke up one day deciding that I was the enemy, um, most likely because of my friendships with certain people. With uh, I think my friendships with Lockhart Steele at the time being at Gawker, and my friendship with your colleague Kara Swisher. This person had decided that I was public enemy number one and was not to be trusted. I'm trying to do the math here. Anyway, I have some, I have some guesses. So that person did what to you? That person sent a vile note to me. That person told me that I was called me qu- quite a bit of names and um, told me he was going to, can I curse on here? Yeah, swear up. Uh, he said he was going to fuck me over. And he then proceeded to threaten to call clients and say if they, he was a very powerful blogger and had a very powerful network behind him at that time. And uh, he threatened to call my clients, which he did at some of them to say that if they worked with me, uh, they would not be covered by his blog. Uh, It was a client um, who's a remarkable uh, person um, to this day who pulled back on him, pushed back on him and said, you know, stop it. This is always the question when I hear about someone acting like an asshole. So now mm. I know who you're talking about. And I go, all right, is that person's an asshole or yeah. worse? And is that because he's a male asshole or he's just an asshole? When I hear about people behaving badly, um, when I talk to women, they go, no, no, that's a gendered thing. They wouldn't speak that way to a man. 
I said, well, no, an asshole's an asshole. Yeah, I do think in some cases an asshole's an asshole, but he sexualized it, and he called me words that are referred to women in a very derogatory way. There are a lot more words for men to, to use towards women in that way than there are for women to use towards men, um, and this was a pretty bad one, and um, actually Jason Calcanis wrote about it at one point, so it was a dark time. I, I literally collapsed on the streets of San Francisco, like thinking that the, like it was chicken little and the sky is falling, and I thought my career was over and I couldn't believe I was being treated and I actually said I was going to have to apologize to him for what I did not know but I was willing to apologize just to make it stop and make it go away which I think unfortunately is the case for many people. And this is when you were already successful. This was when I, yeah, Brew was already a couple years old. Yeah, you were Brooke Hamlin. Yeah. All right, well, but things worked out. Things did work out. Things and did work out and I hope that the people that work for Dina and I never have to experience that. So and while we are on an up note, yeah. from one of our many fine sponsors. We'll be back in a minute. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the super simple cloud accounting software that's helping over 5 million small businesses conquer their admin and paperwork in less time with way less stress. It only takes 30 seconds to create and send a polished, professional-looking invoice. And customers who accept online payments get paid an average of three days faster. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you sent them. You can track your expenses, your cash flow, the time you're spending on each project. It's almost like magic. FreshBooks is offering a free month to all Recode listeners right now. To claim your offer, you go to freshbooks.com slash Peter, and then you enter Recode Media in the place where they ask you where you've heard about this. That's freshbooks.com slash Peter to start your 30-day free trial. Today's show is also brought to you by Videoblocks, a stock media company everyone can afford. With the Videoblocks subscription, you get unlimited daily downloads from a library of 115,000 HD video clips, After Effects templates, motion backgrounds, and cinemagraphs. Who knows what a cinemagraph is? But I'm sure it's great because it comes from Videoblocks. On average, subscribers pay less than a dollar per download over the course of a year. It's the same stuff you'd find on more expensive sites. It's just way cheaper. If you're a subscriber, you get everything 100% royalty-free, even if you cancel your subscription. So you pay them, you get the stuff, you stop paying them, you still keep it. Pay zero royalties, keep your whatever you download forever. Videoblocks is offering my listeners a one-year subscription for $99. That's 50 bucks off the usual price tag for my listeners only. Get your yearly subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash recode. That's videoblocks.com slash recode for this exclusive offer. We're back here with Brooke Hammerling. He has more tips on how to not run a startup or how to not do comms. I want to talk about how you got into the business and how the business has changed. You run your own agency prior to that. You worked at an agency. How'd you get into PR? Oh, my gosh. I've worked on the on the agency side, and I worked on the startup side. Um, I it, I didn't study it. I, I know a lot of people have communications degrees. I actually was a, I, I was a theater kid. I was... That seems like better training. A child actor, in fact. What and were you in? I was in, like, some commercials. I was in this, like, really funny movie. So, no, I don't think it was funny, but it was a cheesy TV movie called Sentimental Journey with really? I've known you for Smith. a decade. I've never known what you're acting for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was really into it. Um, and I went to summer theater programs. That's what I really wanted to do. And then, um, and I was, I was, I studied theater and then I was an English and creative writing major. And I was planning on getting my MFA in creative writing. That was going to be my goal. I was going to do the typical, take a year off after college and explore myself and then become a great American writer and live in Spain and fall in love with a bullfighter while 
smoking cigarettes and drinking wine and writing. I think you've done a bunch of that, right? I've, I've done it a few times. But I've uh, also, when living abroad while I was in college, I um, discovered this thing called the internet, which for some of you listening did not exist when I was in high school. And it re, you know, just was starting out was when I was in college. And I found a, a cheap way to communicate with friends in this thing called email. And this was in 94, 95. And I just devoured everything that I Before could. Before browsers. Yeah. Really, I mean, and it was it was when I I start I didn't understand how it worked, so I started reading about Mosaic and Tim Berners-Lee and Vince Cerf and obviously Mosaic and Mark Andreessen. And I just became really hooked on it, but my dreams were still of going to graduate school. And then as things happen, and I had tragedy in my life, and my mom and dad, who were my rocks and the people that raised me with the the belief I could do anything, and they were beautiful, passionate explorers of the world. Um, died when I was about 22. Um, Unexpected, sort of. Um, My mom was sick and my dad died of a broken heart. And that threw me into a tailspin of what am I going to do with my life? And you have these different opportunities. I had friends who were like, let's go, you know, Jerry Garcia had recently passed away, but let's go follow the dead or fish or whatnot, and let's do a ton of drugs and just live out of a van. That sounded appealing. Um, there was another Still that just sounds, said, okay. you, you but know, yeah, it'd be a normal reaction, right? Like I'm checked out. I'm going to check out. Check out. And then there was an, and I just, and I was actually at that time, I just, I'd been working for my sister-in-law who had a consumer PR firm in food, and I had been doing food PR, and that had given me, she was just giving me an outlet to keep me busy when my mom was ill, but I got really hooked on that feeling. Of interaction and communication, and I would have at the back in the day before there was really we weren't emailing; it was faxing or phone calls. I would pick up a phone to pitch a journalist on something. They had no relationship to me, so they had no problem hanging up on me. And that for me was like the most. It was it was the most worst feeling rejection. Just like oh my god. So in my mind, I said, well, if they knew me, they won't hang up on me. They still may be like Brooke, not a good time a la Kafka, but they would have done it with a bit more, you know, uh, warmth. And so when I decided to move out to Silicon Valley um, and sort of go West young man and um, work my way up. Uh, in you the, wanted to go to Silicon Valley to do what? To, to do I wanted to be in the tech to, world. But it you was, didn't know, just something. Yeah, my mom, it was at that time, actually when I moved out, my parents had been still alive and they gave me that belief that, you know, go, follow, do something. You have this sort of path. I didn't know it was going to be a career, but I knew that it was different. I needed to get out of this sort of dark cloud of sadness that was surrounding me when my mom was ill. And San Francisco, California, it just seemed so bright and shiny. And um, going, I've said this many times, but going to San Francisco in 96, 97, was like going to Hollywood, I imagine, when it was just starting out and there were like five movie stars. I mean, it was, everybody was open and accessible and it was this feeling. Right, there was of, money, but it wasn't huge money no, yet. No, it was right and before the dot people com. And the, the NBA dudes and the chinos and the blue denim shirts hadn't shown up. No. They were just starting to show up. San Francisco was pretty diverse at that point. There was still art culture. There was a lot of different industries still there, but there was this feeling of excitement, this sort of, you're on the cusp of something really great and you're in this sort of inner circle, this inner club of people that are sort of ahead of things. So you just show up and they let you in or literally I just showed up I mean I knew a few people and had some amazing contacts who helped me in every step of the way and those were you know I got to see the inner workings these were when you know I mean I got to see like Mark Pincus was somebody that was a friend of uh, of my uh, boyfriend at the time and played video games and Mark Benioff who is this amazing marketing manager at Oracle and um, you know these are people that have obviously become household names certainly in technology but we were all this sort of 
like Motley Crue in the late 90s. So you're hanging out in the late 90s. Now, now there's money. Now people, now, you know, CNBC is on a sports bar, et cetera. And you, you start working for an agency? I did. I started working for an agency and they had their interactive division. So you were and the our digital business person. card our business card had a lightning like, you know, flash <laughs> that to indicate we were interactive. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I was a big video gamer, believe it or not. I still am. I actually can't be near a game system for too long or I get sucked in. Um, so I was a big gamer. I was a hardcore Gamer. So it's my passion, I know, it's true, it's true, it's secret. So we, actually, I was immersed in the game world. It was, um, we represented Sega and then Imagine Media, which was Chris Anderson, now the good Chris of Ted, who runs Ted. But before that, he was he was sort of party Chris, who ran this uh, company called Future Publishing, which became Imagine Media in the U.S., and they published all the video game publications like Next Gen and PC Gamer. And I, like, all my friends were hardcore gamers. This is always my question about, about <laughs> me, uh, PR agencies, to get nerdy for a second, sure. or, or media-y. It seems like that's a really bad structure. I know you own an agency, so it's this is touchy. But yeah. it seems like what happens is, Clients go to an agency. The agency says, we're going to perform this awesome thing for you. Generally, they bring in their best person, their most senior person. This person's going to work with you. Oh, and to close gonna, the deal. To close the deal. Mm. Then they go away. Then usually the most junior person gets Correct. that work. The person who's working there may mean very well but doesn't know the company, generally doesn't know the people they're pitching. So I'll get these pitches all the time still. And if I ever do sort of get engaged in the pitch, my first ask is, all right, let's get the agency out of the way. Even if they're trying to do a good job, all they're doing is standing in between me and the client. And I would think – and they can't – and it's different than if someone who – if I'm talking to someone who does that same job but it's for the company. That person knows how the company works. That person can help me answer a question. That person can get me access to somebody Mm -hmm. I want to talk to. So – and you worked at an agency. Then you worked and created your own – how do you fix that problem, right. of that, that structural problem? Well, I think in many cases, I think that's probably very that, – that is true. That's what happens with agencies. They're sort of over-promising and under-delivering. And I certainly was a 23-year-old sort of novice. I was thrown in, um, as anybody is, and sort of given a stack of, of press releases to distribute and contacts to just send it to without having the knowledge. And um, it was over trial and error, my mistakes of you know reaching out to the pe- wrong person about the wrong thing, where I was like, that doesn't yeah, – so you, so you get better over but time. But mentorship, I think, was really key. I had a mentor at um, my, my agency out in San Francisco named Monica Madrid, and she really took that time. And so that's what we find is it's that it, it is mentoring, being able to sort of like hands-on apprenticeship. Somebody says, this is the – if you find a good mentor who tells you, listen, take that extra time, spend those extra hours outside of the office really researching, understanding the businesses, the people. Um, that wasn't necessarily how every agency was run. It was sort of siloed, depending. So I took the, I was really lucky to be taught that and have these very hands-on clients who were like, okay, we're dealing with this 23-year-old. This is what we got. Let's help her do the best that she can. And I also learned by being really transparent with reporters and with clients and saying like, what, what's the value and what's the the hindrance that you guys are seeing? Like, I don't want to be a block when you have that direct relationship with a CEO and you, all of a sudden a, pub, a PR person comes in and says, please deal directly with me. And you're like, wait a minute, I've already been dealing with the CEO, but you have to understand from our side, certainly the more seasoned people, we can help make sure that the conversation runs smoothly. We can help make, push it forward. We shouldn't be blocking and saying he can't comment on so that. So what you're saying is, Peter, you're right, to but 
we're the exception that proves the rule. We're better at. at I think being there's an some, I don't, and I certainly don't say just brew, but yeah. I do think we take the time um, to really understand and navigate the, the the businesses and the clients, and we become you know partners with them. And when we we are really honest, we don't just cut in when a reporter you know is speaking to a client directly. We'll jump in and just say, "Let me help you. We're here to sort of move this further along." Oh please! I see. He's Peter Kafka's rolling his eyes right yeah. now. For those of you who know Peter, you know that is one of his calls. favorites. I've gotten calls from you when I reached out to one of your clients without, without looping you in. Yeah, it's it's only because what it's happens is they'll forget. Year. They forget to respond, or they won't get, or they'll say something, and then they come to us and say, "Oh, I didn't mean to say that. Please get that out." And I, I now have to say to you, I know you were talking to them on the record, but it wasn't. It sucks. Sorry, I'm not Insurance. really sorry. I want to keep doing it. <laughs> you um, are. Um, is there a fundamental, other than there's much more media, right? There's many more places for your clients to engage with people, for people to engage their clients. Is that the fundamental thing that's changed between when you started and where we are today or something else going on? Oh, I mean, that is certainly one. I mean, for those, when I first started, it was, it was a a solid list of the same people with the same deadline, you know, where we weren't talking blogs. We didn't Journalists at magazines and newspapers. Yeah. Magazines, newspapers, same deadline. And generally speaking, you cater like if you had an announcement going out it was sort of set to whatever the new york times or wall street journals and embargo times were to get into print and making it clear that it'll be in a global newspaper this story needs to be in the Times so they can get it out by 10 o'clock so it ends up in tomorrow's newspaper yes and there was a set of journalists and so that was it was a much simpler sort of format at that point and so as we've evolved and we have bloggers but we also have people now who aren't writers but have a voice have influence right so whether they're called influencers or just people who have their own passions about things and whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or just their own So you, you treat know, them as a publisher. We do in many cases we certainly do. We have to navigate that because obviously there's a different impact there. So that's certainly changed. There's a lot more money. So there's a lot more companies and there's a lot more companies thinking that they're, you know, ready for prime time because they have you know, famous investor giving them some money or something. And so we get a lot more, um, a lot more pitches like weekly from companies than I've ever seen. So we have to weed through a lot. So you have to weed through a lot. And then I, I normally ask you, like I did ask you, right? Like what are the things that your clients get wrong? What are the, what are the things people don't understand? <laughs> what are the things people like me get wrong? What am like, I doing wrong? We, how long do we have? This can go for like two hours. <laughs> Listen, I mean, what we do, what you do, there's no science. So somebody can have a bad day. You know, we've had some bad experiences. I've had bad. I mean, there's some great ones. There's one that comes to mind when you tell, for those of you who don't know, when you say something is off the record, you may, you go into an agreement with a journalist. Now, there are people on our end who do it wrong. You can't send a note to somebody saying this is off the record and then give them the information. There has to be a uh, transaction, if you will. I say, Peter, is this off the record? Is this okay? It's off the record. Yes, Brooke, it's off the record. We proceed. So we actually had a journalist um, actually attend an event of mine. Um, who wanted to be there, and I asked if they could be there, making sure that everything there was off the record. That journalist agreed, and I let him stay. And then a few days later, he let me know that he knows and he's a, a sorry that he had agreed to it being off the record, but there was just too much good things that he yeah. got from there. So he was just disregarding that. That's not great behavior. There are other things where we have told... So you're breaking a verbal contract. But breaking that's... a verbal contract. We've told... There are some uh, reporters that have an absolute agenda. They're like, we're going to go with this story. We want to go with this story. I have said, 
where I say, forget no comment. I have said that story is unequivocally untrue, actually untrue. They still go ahead with that story, but don't even put that comment in. Um, that's irresponsible, and we've seen that. And we've seen that with some proper publications. Real publications. Real. There's an ongoing tension, right? Because there's a, you, a journalist may have a, a story they want to tell, or they may, in the course of the reporting, decide this is the story they want to tell. Or they have a, they feel they have a source that is so. But, but let's 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 say everyone's working. They're, they're doing their best job, right? So yeah. they have information, and by they have a narrative, and they because eventually you have to tell a story, right? When you as a as a of writer, course. you guys and your clients want to tell a story. Sometimes those things are going to sync up. Very often, even if people are all doing their job properly, they don't sync up. Now, what? So, how do you deal with that, right? So, you you go to your client and go, I know we said that Peter was gonna, we were gonna deliver this story to Peter, and but he told it a different way. What are you gonna do? Right. And they go, Well, no, that's your job. Your job is to mm-hmm. is to make Peter tell that story that way. Yeah. So that is the belief that an, uh, that people feel that we can go and make you do your job, like you are the way we want it to be done. That is just, you know, there's certain very straightforward stories, right? A company gets funded or it's launching a consumer product or blah, blah, blah. Pretty straightforward. But there's still going to be a tinge of personal opinion in some of them, some of them. So we're very clear. We have to tell the, the, the companies that we work with, like we, again, aren't magicians. We can't make it the way. What we can do is certainly help give all the information. And, and what we do, though, is we make sure that we have done all the research. So if we're going to brief you, Peter, on a media company in you know XYZ category, we know everything that you've had an opinion on. We've read everything. We've listened to every podcast. So we are able to give them a solid foundation and a, and a background and saying, here's you know the positives of things that Peter has seen and the negatives and what he said. So we go in there with a very, very you know uh, realistic understanding of what might be um, you know the end result. But so you know we never promise. We never promise positive coverage. We we can't do that. But it, we do our job to the best of our ability. But you still got to sell yourself. So you got to say we're going to help you achieve these goals. We do help. You know certainly we you know work with companies and all of our companies are people that we and and businesses that we truly believe in. We have a lot of hard conversations that you never see behind the scenes where we will tell clients, you're not ready. Like we can't put our reputation on the line with press to show them this product because it's not ready. And we will be doing not just your, like we won't be doing you any favors and I won't be doing my company any favors. So there is a lot of pushback. We are not in the yes business at Brew. So, and I think in the modern day communications, people aren't. We have to do a lot of navigating and helping them know when they're when it's the right time they go look i got 40 million dollars in funding i have a stanford whatever degree so and so is backing me i know what i'm doing we're launching right go find another agency so you you, yeah especially when these guys say you know when these when these founders um come to us and say well you know we have this prominent investor and we have 40 million we want to launch we want to announce that with no business or no understanding of how when the timing of their business is going to be ready if you want to lead with financing and lead with your celebrity investor, we, we, we just tend not to be, um, you know, attracted to that kind of business. You've been helping people with their startups forever. You started your own company I know. What, 11 years ago. Yeah. It's funny. There are some people I have dealt with. There is, there is a bit of misogyny on this where I remember there was a conference that was for founders, not founders now, but like a conference that was only invited founders of companies. And I actually asked this person years ago and I said, I would love to be involved, you know? And he said, well, 
we're, it's for founders. I said, well, I'm, I'm the founder. I started Brew. He said, well, we don't see service companies in the same way. So I said, wait a minute, because I'm actually profitable, because I haven't taken investment from anybody, because I've been you know, running a business from the beginning as, at a success rate. Okay, great. So we're not the same as a uh, venture-backed company in their minds. I think so that's funny. You started the company, didn't take venture money. 11 years later, you sold it. These yeah. are famously, service companies are famously hard to sell. Yes. So why'd you sell and, and, <laughs> and, how, and how did it come about? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly they when they do sell, it's generally to, like, you know, another company in that space, a holding company, something where they get absorbed into a, a bigger sort of... Right, and traditionally... They do that, and they get paid, and then they get paid to stick around. For a and, bit, and, they're and then not things very change, happy. and everybody's bitches about it, and then those So people- they got some of the money they were paid, but not all of it, and mm-hmm. they leave, and they say, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to sell it. And you've seen that a million times. Yeah. So yeah. what's going to happen this time? Well, I think Dina and I are incredibly lucky in finding a partner like Matthew Freud and his team. And Matthew is, uh, for those of you in the U.S. who don't know him, he's just a, a genius communications um, master. And he's he, a Freud too, right? He is a Freud. Yeah, he is. He's he's one to like examine my brain. Um, but he's Sigmund Freud's uh, great-grandson. And he's an amazing, extraordinary man in career. He's a guy who's created campaigns. He was one of the um, creators of the Red Campaign. Campaign, for example, and God, I hate this when I say when I say the story of how Matthew and I met. It sounds yeah, really good, sounds really yeah. bad, but um, Did involve the, someone the famous? creator of that is a well-known Irishman uh, named Paul Hewson, otherwise known as Bono, uh-huh. and he introduced Matthew and I um, many years ago uh, at a TED conference, and um, we both knew who the. Can other we do the was. sidebar about how you know Bono <laughs> and how you know other famous people? <laughs> Um, well, I do have a passion for music, yeah. so you know I like music. I like people who make music. I like artists. But I was, um, yeah, when I was young and just starting out in my career, I fell in love with a musician um, whose name is is Mike. Hi, hi, Mike. Who will listen to this? I'm sure Mike Mills from REM. And it was at the time when music and technology were two separate worlds t- entirely, and neither the the two shall meet. Nobody thought they would speak the same language. And as I'm in this world and getting to know the technology world, but also on tour with R.E.M. and meeting their friends, which included the Irish band U2 and many, many other amazing artists, Napster came about. And all of a sudden, like, you know, we're right in the center of this sort of, which side are you on? And it was really interesting to be able to talk about the knowledge that I was coming from and seeing in, in the in the tech so world. So become the tech person who speaks music and the music person who gets tech. Yeah. And you kind of intentionally are bridging those worlds, right? Yeah, it's very, and it it's, was perfect timing. It's very Malcolm Gladwell outlier. But in, and to this date, right? Like it's kind of part of your thing, right? Like you don't explicitly say it, but like you know lots of famous people, both in business and in entertainment and people, I think that, I think it goes with success, right? I mean, I know a lot. I'm really drawn to people with a a work ethic and a drive, and and those people tend to end up becoming more successful, whether it's fame or not. It's just you know, it's that's who I'm definitely. um, I learn from on a day to day basis. So Bono introduced Matthew and I. He says, "I'm not going to do the accent because." Kind of I, I do says, pick up an Irish accent after I've, <laughs> I've hung with Irish people. So Bono for a while. introduces you to Matthew Freud and says, yeah. "This is Brooke." 
Yeah, we meet at, at a dinner, and we both knew who, each, who one another were, and um, I was captivated by his brain and his just pure knowledge of sort of things on, on all levels. And he wasn't focused on tech, but yet he knew so much about what I was doing. He knew he has an encyclopedic brain. And you say, I want to sell you my company? He says, no, I want to buy no, your company. No, no, no. That was years ago, and we just sort of, um, we have very similar sort of uh, senses of humor and sort of would stay in touch, and would I would run things by him. And when I was in London, I would um, always, you know, stop by and see him and say, like, let's do things together. We should do this together and that together. And I think Dina and I also saw the potential brew needed to scale. We had so many clients, whether it's Refinery29 or NetSuite, um, uh, you know, so many of our clients that are that were U.S. going global. And they were looking for communications partners in certainly in London and, you know, that that whole world. And we were tasked with finding them a partner that we would then, yep. you know, have to manage. And we're saying like, well, why aren't we doing this ourselves? And in stressing that frustration with Matthew, he was like, maybe we can do something. But you're profitable. Yeah. You're making money. Yeah. You don't have any investors that you have to pay off. No. You're running a cool business yeah. and you get to and set Matthew's your own hours. Yeah, and given us such, you know, I mean, but, first but of all. But so, so why sell? So why not just keep doing what you're doing? It's your thing. If you need to find a partner, you go work, you do a partnership <laughs> with Floyd. Yeah. Uh, you've again. You've seen people screw up this transaction before. What made you think, all right, I'm going to sell now? You know, and it's a very good question, and we talked a lot about it. I do think I give credit back to Matthew, who structured the deal where we weren't being absorbed into a company never to be seen again and treated like employees. Matthew really sees us as partners. We are we get to remain completely independent and get to grow our brand and and um, and be a valued partner of Matthews and his team. But also the Freuds. World, they had so many. They have so many incredible things, like a media studio, and in literally the smartest people in the room in communications in the UK work at Freud. So, like you know, veterans of BBC and 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 just these brilliant minds that we get to now be a part of and tap into. And they also have a broader network. And it's you know for us to just think we could you know saunter into London and you know plop down and just start to build without that sort of network behind us, it would have killed me. Um, it already. Hard, even just, with Bono's help, <laughs> it would have been it, Even with even with the crazy Irish, yeah. But we've been it's been amazing, and we've started our office in Brew uh, in London, and Brew London is up and running, and we did that in you know a flash, and we're West Coast, East Coast, London. It's cool, and I'm a different living, accent there. I do pick up a different accent in each city, <laughs> and we're you know for us, it's trying to find the best talent and the best partners. Our clients are. I mean, we're so lucky. So you'll do this for a couple years and then yes, you're going to get Yes, Matthew, I just want itch, you to right? know I've got six months left and then I'm moving to Bali. No, I, I don't want to do anything else. Like the thing that we get to do at Brew is we do get to ebb and flow into other industries. So we are now, we're not just media. Like we are at times bringing investors to our clients or to entrepreneurs we know. We're matching them up. So that's You told me been, at one point you wanted to actually start doing like investment. Investment? Yeah, I, I mean, that's something I'll keep in my back pocket for now. But I think Dina and I and Matthew and whatnot, I think we'd be like you see, like you've it. seen enough of this. You've yeah, seen, you've seen yeah. 20 and I years mean, and some of the greatest people that I get to see on a daily basis, whether it's the people at Kleiner Perkins or Atomico or Index or you know uh, Benchmark, they're they're the smartest people in the rooms, and I love being with them. And we get such deal flow sometimes even before they do. So there's a natural 
partnership there. So you're going to fund my next company? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm never going to start a company. <laughs> Don't ever it looks really it. hard. It's hard. It's so hard. You have a hard job too. You put up with me. So thank you, Brooke. Thank you. For coming so and putting fun. up with me here. Thanks to you guys for listening. I don't need to tell you how to listen to this podcast because you are listening to a podcast, but I will point out that we have awesome other podcasts you can hear. There's a good John Favreau interview I just did, Kurt Anderson, Skip Bayless. Who else is good, Brooke? Some of Brooke's clients. Um, I think Michael Rapino of Live Nation. Excellent and, interview. And Philip from Refinery29. Those were two of my favorites. Listen to any fine interview you want to. Um, all we ask is that you subscribe, that you tell a friend. Again, it's great that you guys tell me you like it. I love hearing that. Um, if you tell a friend, it's even better. Thanks to Digital Media for making all this possible. Thanks to our fine sponsors, FreshBooks and Video Blocks. Thanks to everybody. We will see you next week with our great guest. Thanks, Brooke.